That's right. No trivial Facebook commentary. Well, <clears throat> I do feel compelled to give you a little background. I'm going to try not to kill half my time here by doing it. But it has been an interesting progression um, that led me to this particular teaching. And, um, and by interesting, I mean only something that could happen to me. Um, but uh, last year, towards the end of the month of December, um, I got the passage Ezra 9.5. And honestly, I, I think it was like a lot of things that I do receive. It's just when I'm reading the Bible, I read through every night. I read a chapter or two or whatever I do that night. And I've been doing that for 27 years. I just read through the Bible when I'm done. I start over and I start reading again. But a lot of my teachings have come from me getting a particular passage when I'm there. And that's the thing that God is highlighting for me. So it's very interesting how he uses that. Um, but anyway, so I did run across the Ezra passage and it did um, really uh, grab hold of me. And it, I gave it as my first Saturday word um, in January. Uh, because the Lord brought it to my uh, attention at that time, and I knew I was supposed to release that. But it's where um, Ezra is, um, they, he's the prophet there, and they're, they're coming out of Babylon. They're trying to reestablish, you know, where they're at. And they're, the kings have given them permission to build the wall, and uh, he's going through all these you know, the, it takes a long time to do this. This is not a five-minute endeavor. And in the midst of that, the priests and the Levites start intermarrying with all the ites. And so he gets to this place, and the, they basically come up and say, you know, um, I know you've done all this stuff, but, you know, we're actually an abomination because we've intermarried. And Ezra just is like, you know, after all this stuff, that he's doing to, to establish this for the Israelites. He finds that he's in this horrible position before the Lord. They're iniquitous. They've transgressed. God is not going to accept them. And he falls to his knees and he spreads his hands before God and begins to really cry out to the Lord on behalf of the people. And that, that um, spreading out of the hands is what caught my attention because it's the word parats. It's not the same word that we use to break through, but it does mean to spread. So it probably speaks more of your personal breaking through, your personal spreading. But so I did that on New Year's Eve. I went before the Lord, did all that. But going forward, um, that passage, of course, stuck with me. And then after pastor caused, called this fast, my knee started burning. My right knee began to burn. And um, it was boiling. And um, as I was trying to describe it, it's actually like icy hot. Now, I have had burning parts of my body with the Lord doing something like my ears. And it's red, and it is hot. The whole thing is hot. My knee is not hot to the touch. It's actually cold. And it's, so it's cold and hot. So think about what Pastor... <laughs> preached on the revelation with the cold and the hot, right? Well, anyway, it, so it's been really this odd thing that I just thought, oh, it's the knee. This is grace for going forward. This is, you know, this is the Lord telling me, you know, I'm promoting you. 
you're going to go forward in grace. I'm enabling you to, in this season, during this fast. And I just, you know, put it over here. And it, I mean, just continued to on and off pulsate with this burning for, since the fast. Well, um, anyway, I have had these different teachings, the one about Ezra 9, and I had focused, like I said, on the, on the parats, the, the spreading out of the hands. But yesterday in prayer, my knee started burning again while I was in prayer, and I thought, well, maybe I was supposed to focus on the knee, not the hands. So I did the study yesterday and came up with this study about being on our knees, and it does include Barak, but actually it's, it's a, it encompasses the New and the Old Testament about when we're on our knees and the different ways that God uses this um, action by us in, in our preparation, uh, in our going forward, uh, to prepare us, to establish us. These things are all happening as we, we um, get on our knees. Um, there were other things that the Lord was showing me, but you know, now that I'm here, I don't feel led to discuss them with you. So I'm going to put them on the back, and we're going to begin our study. So if you would, we will start with the Ezra 9 passage. Ezra 9, 5 through 6. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, Oh my God, I'm ashamed. And I blush to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. And so I, I wanted to go ahead and begin with this, and even though um, I've already talked about the background of this story, we're going to look at the knee, Berek, and in the Old Testament, knee is this word Berek, and it always talks about bending the knee and bowing, but the root of it is Barak. Now this is the term that we've all become familiar with, and I've put the definition down there for you, where you are kneeling to gain strength, promotion, or some type of commissioning or anointing based on an assignment and your calling. Or, it, you know, and it is that, that commissioning, there can be more than one. So seasonally, there can be Baraks that you are commissioned for. But we basically have entered into this covenant blessing with the Lord when we have committed ourselves to what He's asking us to do. And this is where the Barak comes into play, to play for sons um, uh, who are in that point of partnership. And that's where our blessing comes. And then I gave you the, definitions, the definition for spreading out the hands. Um, so in this particular case, the iniquity was really rampant. And I think that we can say the same about us, even in the church, that iniquity is really rampant in the church. And, uh, and we ourselves need to be uh, policing how our iniquities are guiding our lives. Because just because we're in the Lord, the twisting is still there. We just have to uh, subdue it and be in partnership with the Lord for Him to, um, you know, help us 
not to fall prey to the iniquitous things that are within us. The predilections that we have. So we know that sin itself is when you actually miss the mark. You do something you're not supposed to do. But the iniquity is what is behind the sin. It is actually the twisting in your thinking or the way that you react to things that causes you to sin or to miss the mark, just to, to clarify um, what we're talking about. And so what do we do when we're in this position? We want to go forward. Ezra wanted for the people to be free and to bless the Lord and actually not be destroyed because he thought if we try to come before the Lord with this business, you know, he's, gonna, he's not going to accept us. And so this is where we are. We're in a place where we want to go forward and we have to go before the Lord and Barak, you know, submitting ourselves as we lift our hands because when you lift your hands, you are submitting and yielding to the plan of God, to what he wants to do. And you're kneeling as a point of humility and um, really just a commitment to what God is wanting to do with you as you go forward. And that's what Ezra wanted. And the, the Levites and the priests and all the people, and it named all the folks who were doing this. And, and it was funny how they came to him and said, look, we can't do this in a day. <laughs> so we need some time here. But they put away their wives and all the business. And that's huge, folks. Think about being asked to do something that is a part of your iniquity. And you're like, but I like that woman. Well, I'm not telling you to get rid of your spouses. <laughs> But for them, that's what it was, see? So for your iniquity, what would God be asking you to lay down or to put away that is really gonna, might be a hard thing to do? But if you want to go forward, that's what you're going to have to do. Let's look at establishing the manuka. So this is Solomon, whenever he is dedicating the house that he built for the Lord, that David, 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 David wasn't allowed to do it. Um, but David, you know, he, God put it in his heart to do this, but because of the things that he had uh, partnered with God, you know, in warfare and other things, and some of his mistakes probably, um, he was not allowed to build the house, but Solomon was. So here we are, and Solomon stood in Second Chronicles 6.12. He stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel, and he spread forth his hands, same word, parats. For Solomon had made a uh, brazen scaffold, five cubits long, five cubits broad, three cubits high, high, and had set it in the midst of the court, and, a, and upon it he stood, and then he barocked upon his knees before the congregation, and he spread forth his hands toward heaven. And then in 1 Kings 8, 54 and 50 through 56, and it was so that when Solomon had made an end of his palau prayer, all the tefillah prayer and the supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling, this is a different word, kara, but it still means to, to bend the knee, to prostrate upon your knees, with his hands spread up to heaven. He stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord that has given us rest unto his people according to all that he promised. There hath he not felt one word, of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. So in this sequence, we have when Solomon began to dedicate what they had accomplished through God in their, 
and so it says, what, what, what were all the prayers that he was praying? They were Palau prayers. They were Tapila prayers and supplication. Let's look at these definitions. Praying, Palau, and the word prayer, Tapila, are actually related to one another. Tapila is um, the, it's, okay, which one? This is the noun, I think, and the Palau is the verb. But they, they go together. So the, the Palau means to declare a formed judgment inspired by God through our partnership and supplication. So this is the active product of our supplication. And, it, and it's like our prosuke prayer in the New Testament. So tapila, it means, and they're both related to being before a judge, where you're assessing, you're falling prostrate. This causes us to recognize the way God moves in us during supplication, how we're formed and understanding his ways. <coughs> so if we humble ourselves and commune, we inquire of God as to what he wants in the way um, of partnership, then we have to allow him to search us and to try us according to his deep love for us. So he is the great judge, but we are also called to be judges on his behalf. And this type of prayer is how we partner with him in that. But in this particular segment, it's where we ourselves are before our Father, and He is evaluating where we are, okay? So that we can go forward in His plan. It's not because He's upset or critical. It's not because <coughs> He's disappointed, but He's assessing where you are. I mean, how many of you, when you're looking at your children and you're thinking about doing something, you think, are they mature enough to do this? You're just assessing where they, you're, where they are. You're not thinking, oh, that scallywag kid, I can't believe he's not more mature and can't do this. No, you're just evaluating. Well, you're a special case, Martin. But <laughs> you're, you're one of those special <laughs> you're, kids. Right? You're special. <laughs> but so we, we know that God has to evaluate where we are for going forward. And then, of course, supplication is how we partner in grace. So we're praying in grace about what God is doing, about what he's asking us to do, and that's the supplication. And this is what is actually what establishes the manuka, is when they have done what God has said, they're partnering in this type of supplication prayer. They've gone upon their knees, they're lifting their hands, they're completely yielding themselves to what God wants to do, and then his manuka comes, that rest, and, and that rest, it is true that it does come upon this situation, but I feel a lot of this whole scenario has to do with what Solomon was called to do. You know, you, you have a calling. And so how God will come and abide with you and how he will bring his rest is according to what you're called to do and your acceptance of it. So yes, this is a big scale. This is, this is all of Israel. This is the king of Israel. And we submit to our leader knowing that he has to do this before the Lord. But each of us is responsible for our own selves and how we come before God when he's trying to establish his presence in your life. And so um, I find that really amazing. But let's, let's, uh, let's go on to this next passage because it's also related 
to um, the same topic when it just is, so you have this story that's written in Kings and it's written in Chronicles, okay? So they both kind of say a little bit the same but in different order, so this, it made it easier to, to bring this part up because it's important to see. In Second Chronicles 7, it's the same ending. When Solomon had made the end of his palau, the fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. The glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement, and they worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So this was the result of that point of obedience and their yieldedness to going forward from that place. And so you have to know that God's intention for Solomon at that point was you know, to have dominion and to go forth and establish tabernacles from this place. So it is both an establishment of the Manuka, but it's also the only way you're going to be sent forth and to break through. I really hate this thing right here where I'm trying to take a drink and it goes glunk in the microphone. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's go to on behalf of our mission. In Ephesians 3, 8 through 9, it says, Unto me, who am, I love this passage. This was to me, it really jumped out at me um, in the midst of my teaching. I think this is really cool. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. We're talking about Paul, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath men hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to, to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth, in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled, filled with all the fullness of God. Now, the reason why this really um, impacted me is because I've been praying this prayer over the Brazilians since we started this prayer directive about them being uh, strengthened in the inner man and grounded in love, and that's one of the passages that I was praying, you know, also Christ being formed, things like that. But the part I kept skipping and not thinking was important is for this cause. I bow my knee. So Paul has been given this apostolic mission. He's been given the ability to pre preach the unsearchable riches of Christ's sonship, 
the fellowship of the mystery. He's doing this as an ecclesia before the principalities and the powers. He's got, he's walking, he's according to faith, his confidence in his relationship with the Lord at the right hand. He's moving in the manifold wisdom of God. And for this cause, because of this, he is bowing his knees so that he can speak and teach those Elishas, those new saints, the ones who are not with us yet, who are still walking in um, without relationship with God. They, they have not, um, they're waiting for the message, basically, on how to know the Father. And this, so the bowing of the knee, we need to all just go on our knees right now. But of course we've bowed our knee. But I just think it's significant to see the placement of this. We, we just read right past that. We just bow our knee and move on. But this is, a, this is central to this whole passage, is the bowing of the knee. I think that's incredible. Okay. Fasting and chastisement. Here's another cute, con cool connection. It's not cute. It's cool. It's a cool connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. <clears throat> Um, Psalm 109, 24. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh fails of fatness. Sometimes I just wish they'd speak English, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm looking at all these words and whatnot, and, and the, the, we see the weak underneath there as kasal. It means to totter or to waver, to stumble, stumble and to fail. And you think, oh my gosh, well, why would God let us, you know, be tottering and doing all this stuff, you know, while we're fasting, right? Because fasting is what? It's, it's you know, so that we become meek. It's so we're submitting ourselves and being refined so that we're prepared to accept whatever he wants and how he wants to use us going forward. Um, but I love the fact that fasting just means to fast, but the root means to cover over the mouth, which was funny because I realized that it actually means so you're not eating. Basically, you're covering over the mouth so you don't eat. But my first thought was that <laughs> so you don't say anything you're not supposed to say while you're fasting. So I think there's a double entendre there. I think you can say both of these things, right? That's right. Um, but in the flesh faileth of fatness, I thought this was going to be amazing. This was going to be an amazing revelation. And it was going to be like, you know, your flesh is just going to lie to you and not submit to the anointing, you know. But really it just means that you're really lean. Right. You, you have no fat. You've, you've leaned. But anyway, so it was so boring. <laughs> How boring is that? I really thought it was going to be amazing. So I left that in there just so I could tell that part of the story. So then let's, let's, let's then move to the New Testament and see how this principle is found in the New Testament. So in Hebrews 12, 5 through 13, I taught on this a couple of years ago, and I borrowed from my notes all the definitions um, for your own perusal later. I'll just cover a couple of those things, but let's read it. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof are all partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. But he, and I took out a little verse there because uh, you know, it talks about our fathers, but God chasteneth us for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness, restoration, in that work of restoration. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but it is grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather be healed. So what is the connection? Well, the connection is whenever you're in a position of refining, you're being trained and chastised by the Lord, you're going to be having some hanging down of the hands and some feeble knees. That is part of the result of that process. And you might be, you might be tempted to become, your, it says hanging down and your knees being feeble. Both talk about being loose, relaxed, being over fatigued so that you're not alert, so that you're not... You know, you just begin, like, if you're just too thin, you ain't got no fat. Or the word he used was the anointing. I don't know, maybe we're bereft of a particular strengthening and anointing, or I don't know, I'm not making any new doctrine here. But there's a reason why you're feeble, right? And the Lord is allowing you to feel that point of feebleness. You, you know, you're teetering, you're tottering, your knees are doing all this, and they're supposed to be taking the mountain. They're supposed to be climbing, and it happened. Oh, my gosh. Told you the anointing was going to come. You're taking the mountain, and your knees are supposed to be moving into grace. But what happens if they're doing all this? You know, there's not that grace going on. But I think that what we need to recognize that in the midst of the chastening, in the midst of this atmosphere where we're fasting, you're going to experience these, these manifestations of feebleness. And your hands are hanging down. You feel, you know, um, you're being brought low, as it were. But there's going to be strengthening. You know that. Absolutely. I mean, remember Jesus. After 40 days, he was strengthened. He was ready to go forward in the moment he needed to go forward. But when we're in the point of fasting, we need to to just kind of recognize it, submit to it, and allow God to use the atmosphere that we're in to perfect the things that he needs to. And as you know, we were instructed regarding the Revelation passage, you know, we're supposed to buy gold that's tried in the fire. We're being evaluated. And see, so like right now, even as I'm teaching, my knee just keep going. I wish it was red every time it would do it because it is bizarre feeling. <laughs> but you have, you have um, the trying, which is our evaluation. He's testing us as we're in this refining place because we are being refined. But we're being tested for going forward. And I guess I will kind of circle back. I actually have time. Um, I'm going to circle back to what I was going to say at the beginning about some of the things I felt about the season we're in because I feel like this relates to it. And that is, um, you know, as I, at the beginning of the year, I started working on Line Upon Line and some of the topics that I was working on actually gave me a picture of where we are. And I thought that was really, um, really cool how the Lord does that. 
And because we've, we've spoken a lot about the 30 and the 60 and the 100, and then the most recently um, that you know insertion of the 70, which is the IN, the elders, the mature ones. So at the 30, you have people who are committing to what God is saying to them. And then at 60, you have an expansion of that, and you are gaining a little bit of authority, but you, you know, you're kind of moving in your muscles, you're doing the things, you're faithful in the things that God has given you to do. And when you do that, you're bumped into that eldership. And I was really, I really felt this, and I'll explain myself, but I really felt like this is where we were right now, that we're in that 60 slash 70 placement. And the breakthrough that we are all believing for is actually that 100 fold. Now, I do believe that's true. But, you know, when you think about what we have been doing over the last 27 years, well, we've actually operated in all these areas from the beginning, but out of grace, out of actually, this is your assignment. If you're going to walk in this, I have to give you this. But we hadn't actually earned it necessarily. It's more of something that God gave us so that we can function, learn about the gates, but I don't think that we have earned being in the gates yet. But I think that's what we're doing right now. I think the breakthrough is putting us in that place. So we are and have functioned in the 36 and the 100. We have. But we're, we're being, we've been tried. Our faith has been tried in this area so that, you know, when Satan starts pointing the finger at us, he's like, hey, They've been through all this. They've said yes to all this. I've let you, you know, meddle in this and that. They've gone through these things. They are gold. They are gold that has been tried in the fire. And I'm going to give them this authority in the gates that we have not seen yet. We have a presence there. We have a presence in the gates. But there's a difference between being in the gates and really conducting business on the scale that God has for us in the gates. So that is something I feel like us being on our knees in this, in this hour to accept what God is wanting to do with us going forward. Right now, they may feel kind of feeble, but God is going to give us the victory. So let's uh, move on to the way of holiness. Let me see if I'm still doing okay. I only killed a few minutes doing that. Okay. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands confirm the feeble knees say to them that are of a fearful heart be strong fear not behold your god will come with vengeance even god with a recompense he will come and save you then the eyes of the blind shall be open the ears of the deaf unstopped the lame will leap the tongue will sing the wilderness the wilderness will break forth with waters streams in the desert and the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. 
So I, I kept, I almost took this out, but I feel like this really speaks about our walk in restoration, you know, as saints and partners for that point of restoration for the earth, because we are talking about the solitary desert places, the places that aren't functioning, and we are standing in the, the heat of that, as it were, we're standing on behalf of it, so therefore we endure all of the atmospheric challenges that come with being someone who stands in that solitary place, in that dry place. But, and in the midst of that, again, you're gonna have those feeble knees. And they're using a different word here for strength. Um, there's um, hazak, which is usually used for the strength of the hands. And then the amos um, for the feeble knees, confirming that means to be strong, alert, and of good courage. So to me, this is a promise for us. These are things that we have believed for, that God would bring this point of fruitfulness. And I mean, when I think about, I mean, I love the fact that he's going to, you know, come and save us. I mean, we all want that, right? Because we're going we're gonna to be in some hot water from time to time. And we always are. I mean, he saves us all the time, right? But when I think about the blind eyes opening, the deaf ears, and, you know, I don't even care if blind people see or, or, or uh, blind people see and deaf people hear. I'm talking about spiritual blindness and spiritually deaf. Because seriously, if you're just blind, that ain't a problem in life. Not to God. It's not. It's that you're not saved. It's that you can't see spiritually. And I'm telling you, the, the amount of bondage that's in the earth right now, there are blind eyes, there are deaf ears. These are people who are bound, and they are bound to this path that is so destructive, and it's just leading to death. And I want to see the day where we see them, you know, Jesus breaking those chains of bondage. Oh my God, I want to see that. So this is what we're standing on behalf of. Then we come into this section where I think is really important too, something I, I don't think that we think about because we are already doing this. It's not, you know, it is important, but it's just something we skim over. That every knee shall bow. Let's start with Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. So think of this while I'm reading it, and I want you to be really praising the Lord in your heart because this is the way I read it. It's like, this is our attitude. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto him with psalms, for the Lord is great. He's a great God, and he's a great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills are his also. The sea is his. He made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And then it just starts to take a turn. Today, if you will hear his voice, you harden not your heart as in the day of provocation and temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, they proved me, they saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with their generation. And I said, this is a people that do err in their heart. They have not known my ways. Unto him I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. So what is, how do we approach the predilection 
to oppose God, to be stiff-necked, to not, you know, humble ourselves before the Lord, to complain and murmur because things are hard, things are difficult. We got to kneel down. We had to submit ourselves. See, this is, this is amazing. And this, we will enter into his rest, see, when we do this, okay? And then go, let's go into the New Testament, Romans 14, 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. We have this little moniker up on our platform. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we just kind of skim over that. We've stopped bowing, kind of. You know what I mean? We've stopped depressing ourselves. We proscuneo, so we're used to that. But are you really depressing yourself? See, there is a humility of our heart and our mind that must attend the action that we are doing. And I'm just telling you guys, that I've been prosecuting for an awful long time, but I can forget to humble myself when I do it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm not like I'm up there being proud, but I'm like, all right, look at me. You know, I'm going to lay down. It's not that. It's just an active, Father, I submit myself to you. I just don't, I don't say that anymore. You know what I mean? I should, I think, when I prosecuteo or kneel, I should actively, in my heart, in my mind, be in agreement with what I'm doing in my action. Now, I'm not saying that it's because you know, we're all just heathens and we're, we're, we've lost our way. I'm not saying that. I'm just, as a reminder, maybe, maybe, maybe you need to hear that, yeah, I haven't really thought about the fact that I need to humble myself when I do this. I don't know. It's just a frame of mind. But two, it is, it is, an, it is every knee will bow. That day is coming. Now, let's look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness, likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He is our pattern. He is our pattern. We have to die to ourselves and be obedient to our cross, and our cross is what our calling is, what our mission is, what God has put us on this earth to do. We have to be like Jesus. That's what everybody says, but I don't see most Christians doing that. I see them just following their own pathway of this is what I want. I want this here. I want to have that. I want to do this. I want to do that. And there's no obedience unto death because his, his, his path was specific. But if we're to be like Jesus, then isn't our path specific? Right? Yeah. Okay, so let's go on. In verse 9, Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what is the significance of this right now? We're in a fast where we are welcoming Jesus. So shouldn't we bow our knee in this time, in this season, actively partnering and submitting to, 
to what he wants to do. I just think that's really cool. I love the way the Lord brings these things together and it's by nothing I did. You know, he, it's just all there. And I, and in this season, you know, I wasn't looking for this. And as a matter of fact, I was sort of ignoring it because I mean, my knee has been burning for two weeks. And I was like, oh, thank you for that grace, Lord. You know, and he's just like, <laughs> well, he does that though. And he finally got my attention yesterday in the right time. Hey, I wish I haven't heard the knocking yet. So I keep asking about that. Another drink, sorry. So let's look at this last page. This is kind of interesting. Lord, I'm going to finish this early. It's only 941. Wow. Okay, Luke 22, <laughs> 41 through 42. Do y'all have any comments? I think we have time. I think a lot of times we are, <clears throat> and I, I can say this because um, I think to some degree, if we're all honest, there's we're we are in a time that is, um, <laughs> man. Some sometimes when I when I'm stopping and I'm pausing, I, I don't even have the words to really describe what I feel the Lord doing among all of us, and you know when you. When you feel like you're not really getting it and you go, ding dong, anybody home? He's like, you're home. It's just not time for that to come light out. to come on. Yeah. And once it comes on, then this happens. Yeah. And that's that's freeing, though, when you think about, I mean, it, it is all him. It is. And in that way, it's freeing because we really are not responsible no. to know stuff. No. And so you, it really keeps you from trying, you know, to force it. Right. And but... You still have to be seeking, sure. or you're not going to hear that, that's it, and you have to be process. open it. But yeah, it's it's we have to just be open to hear in His timing. But anyway, thank you for that. So let's look at the Tethemme, which is um, going to be really clarified as the commitment to our our ordained calling. Let's look at Luke 22 verse 41. And Jesus was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So as I looked, again, I did an exhaustive search throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament to look to see where the knee was even mentioned, just for grins, you know, you just don't want to miss anything. And so when I did looking at the knee uh, and kneeling in these, uh, in both the Old and New Testament, um, I found that the knee is that word gauni. That's goni. But in these four passages, and there's one other, but it's, you know, I didn't feel it was pertinent to bring it up, um, is it is coupled with the word tetheme, which is probably that word down. But when you click on kneel down, only tetheme comes up, but it is goni tetheme. It is goni plus tetheme. That is what the Strong's says. So to completely explain that, um, that's the way it, it comes up when you're clicking on words. But that is very interesting. There are other places in the scripture where people kneel and it uses the word 
goni, uh, or the knee is the same. It's the, word, the Greek word goni. But in these passages, it is coupled with tetheme, and we need to see the significance of this. Because if you think about the tetheme being the deposit of God that he deposits within you, each one of us, it is specific. It's your deposit from him about what you're called to do. So when you bow the knee with regard to the tetheme, you're accepting, you're committing to fulfill what he tithed within you to do. So let's, so Jesus, he was about to, to go to the cross. He was accepting this cup. I mean, he had the discussion with the Father, but we all knew he was committed to fulfilling it. So he was bowing and kneeling down to say, I accept this cup. I accept what you put me on this earth to do. Your will be done. And he prosukamide, which is, you know, pros, meaning, go, meaning to go forward, and that ukamai, meaning the will of God. So this prosukamai, in simplistic terms, is really praying the will of God for going forward so that you can go forward in his will. And every one of these, except for one, is linked with the prosukamai prayer. Let's look at Acts 7:59. And they stoned Stephen, and call, he was calling upon God, and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So isn't the only other place that that has happened is when Jesus says that? So, or is it, I don't know if it's in more than one place, but I don't know. Um, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay this sin, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen who we know moved with faith and power in the Holy Ghost, and he was doing exploits, you know, and he, by the Apostle Paul being there, before he was, before he was changed, witnessed the stoning of Stephen. Didn't he take up his clothes? But anyway, here is Stephen. He's kneeling down, and he's accepting what God is doing in his life. He, rel he realizes the tetheme that was in within him includes what he has just endured. So he is kneeling and then he, he dies. Acts 9.39, Peter arose and went with them and when he was come they brought him into the upper chamber and all the widows stood by him weeping and can you imagine they're walking around they're weeping and this is the coat that Dorcas made do you see that this is what this Dorcas is so good she is dead this is what the widows were doing and so in verse 40 P Peter kicked them out I mean he put them forth and he kneeled down and he prosukamite and turning him to the body said Tabitha arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up so he kneeled accepting the commission of what God has had to them in him his ordained calling and he moved in healing so when you submit yourself to the moment of who you're called to be and who God has tithed within you to be you can fulfill what God has put you in that place, any scenario, to fulfill.
And then Acts 20.36 is interesting. Uh, Paul had spoken to all these people that he was with, and he kneeled down and he prosukemied with them all. This is when he told them that he was not ever going to see them again. He basically knew, the gig is up, folks. I'm going into Jerusalem. They're after me. And he knew what his future held. They were all upset. They all cried. But he kneeled, and he prayed with them all. He prosukamide in their presence, the will of God. So, very interesting progression, don't you think? Um, let me see what time it is. Wow, I have, I have never, I mean, this is a day of miracles. <laughs> Ten till. Oh my gosh, that means I get to teach my next lesson. Unless y'all have a comment. If you don't have a comment, Mark, we've already had one. Anybody else? Okay, I, I'm, I'm speaking, speaking for Tricia. Okay, okay. Tricia. oh yeah, because where is she? Of course she's not here to, to comment. Um, something that came to mind when you were talking about the, um, the uh, submission and the humility and the you know, meekness, it just kind of dawned on me the... Um, Every, everything that he's doing is he's revealing who he is inside of us through these outward demonstrations. For example, he's working submission, humility in us because Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart. So it's not that he's trying to just pummel all of us, Stacy and Mark and all of us, He's trying to show who he is inside of us in the whole process. That's the objective of everything we do is as we learn to represent him, it's him in us. It's his, it's his breath and how he operates. And so when, and I say this because I know I know we know this, but this, this season we are in, I mean, it is off any chart I don't think any of us have ever <laughs> stepped into. And, and I say that with all humility, and, you know, I, I've, I've been participating in this same thing and some other things the Lord's been asking. And, and I know that the fast that that pastor was given initially to release, I don't know what you guys are experiencing in the Lord, but it is the most phenomenal time <laughs> I believe I've ever had in God that is just doing such a great work in of him showing himself strong in us and on behalf of what he's doing. It has nothing to do with us other than the partnership, the relationship, and getting to getting to know him in these ways so we can represent him. We are representing him as we go into the earth. Even though we, we live as in this with this natural man, that's not us. The, the, the spirit of God in us 
When we say, we, and I, I'm going to say this because something happened this morning that just speaks to this. I, when we say the Spirit of God dwells in us, we, I didn't fully recognize what that meant. It speaks of His person in its entirety inside of us. His mind, his heart, his ways. And when he, I mean, I've known this, and maybe maybe you are somebody that's thought of it from the very beginning of all this stuff. I have not, and I am overwhelmed and undone to the point that I'm like, Lord, <laughs> this is you. This is your revelation, what you said. And I'm just, I'm very grateful to God to even be a representative for Him. Because this is a grave responsibility. But most of it, <laughs> and thankfully, is on Him. But we have the privilege of knowing Him in these deep ways. And I'm telling you, He is taking us into new places in Him and giving us access that I've known about mentally. Pastor's probably been into some of these places, and maybe you. But I'm, I'm just, I'm just undone, and it's it's a good thing. So I'm I'm just expressing my my sincere gratitude for what he's doing in all of us. Because I just I get I get to the point where I'm like this, and I just. I'm like Daniel, I put my hands on my head and I say, Lord, the cogitations of my mind are greatly troubling me. And then he says, that's okay, that's where I want you to be. And then he gives strength to an angelic messenger that's there and says, I've given you strength, they're coming with skill, they're coming with understanding. And my heart is just bursting with his spirit. And um, he is, he is, he's just phenomenal. That's all I can. <laughs> well, I have to say that, you know, Mark, as an evangelist of this house, I mean, you are a sign in a lot of ways for us. You, you're, you're supposed to go before to prepare the way for the apostolic message. That's yeah, what the, he, he's, he's, he's getting ready to unleash that. But, it's it's going to happen. It's, it already is happening. But I just feel like, you know, God almost takes you in through these paces because it causes you to really dig for that gold. Because you, you really can't go, and that's why we're fasting. When you think about it, you can't you can't operate in this in you know in a normal mode to go deeper. <laughs> to go deeper, you have to change. You have to search. You have to dig. You have to probe. Your something about you has to um, call out for the thing that he's wanting to do. And I think that you know our fasting is preparing us we have to act differently to receive what he's giving it can't be business as usual to come into some new place he's giving us he is changing us in order to accept that but i mean mark we just you know we pray for you and pray that the lord would strengthen you and continue to do oh, what oh, he's yeah, doing yeah. in you but it's, it's, it's great he, his overcoming power and dunamis combined his overcoming grace combined combined with dunamis he's got it he he's doing it. he can do anything but i wanted to i wanted to draw attention to uh something that pastor wrote the first book i think that ever came out of this house 
<laughs> it's, it's still the most important book in that bookstore to me. And I, I because that's what began all this, and it's going to continue, is, is, the, is the intercessory and I, of, of divers' tongues. And I've been thinking a lot about that based off our fast, but one of the benefits that, I'm, I'm sorry for taking more time, but it's so important. One of the ben major benefits from our fast that God has chosen as we, as we eat from his dinner, his dinner table, and mind you, you think you've eaten all the food, and you turn around, and there's, there's more covering it. It's endless. It never ends. It's, it's phenomenal. And I, I, I was thinking, Lord, this fast, one of the things he's going to be doing is he is, he is going to be loosing the bands of twistedness. And he is bringing utter destruction into the works of the devil and I know one of those works is, is, is this. Jesus said, and I'm give you just a little attitude here. Jesus said, with fasting, he said, this genos, links back to diverse times, this genos, the only way you are going to deal with demonic forces that are possessing people is through prosciutto and fasting. And there's that link that's going to unloose. We are partnering to unloose these destructive works of the devil. I'm telling you, and destruction doesn't mean what we think it does. To loose the band. It means to loose. And God in that is partnering with us to do that very thing. Many years after the cross. I know this is... I, it, that's just one thing of many, many things that are going on. Yeah, it and has I, to be. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. And the link to the genos and the, the fasting. And he said, as long as you keep prosciutto and fasting with me, this is, this is going to happen. As we represent him in that synagogue where they're at. They're in the synagogues. They're in the churches. They're roaming. And he's going to use us as representatives as we speak his message. We don't have to do it perfectly either. It's going to be accompanied by the demonstration of the breath of God and the dunamis of function coming and grace elevating and it's gonna the explosiveness of that we so focus on the physical the dunamis the powers of God are inside him and they manifest physically it's internal that's what God is looking at and that's what's he gonna bring in alignment with function all over this world Man, we, I has not seen, and I, I, you can tell I'm really excited because of what he's doing. It's him. And if he can keep us in this place of humility and submission, man, we're about to see God. He is going to show up, and he is going to show out, and he's going to cause function to come back into his body the way he sees it. And the way the, the fivefold, I mean, whatever your gifts are, like, like evangelistic, we, he's taught us, and he's brought us to this point where I feel he's the evangelist, and he's demonstrating, and I or whoever represent the evangelistic heart and office and function of God operating that way. It's, he's in us that way, and he's peeling back. He's peeling back the realm that I've never seen before and going, I've led you to this point. I've led pastor to this point. I've led everybody to this point. And he, 
I'm telling you right now, prophesy. The earthquake is soon to fall on this earth. It is. He is getting ready to change this the landscape of this world, not just this place. And that's what we've been partnering with. We're getting ready to see in the natural him do those things he's prophesied over the years. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really undone now. I gotta get <laughs> I'm so Anybody else want to say anything for Mark? Keeps going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm oh, Mark, you, you're pray. okay. Anybody else have any comments? <laughs> no, I think I think that that verse about the, the fasting and the knees and then the flesh failing, um, basically exhausting the fatness within. That is a key element. Uh, it, it's very much aligned with coming before the table of grace and having uh, bread that's unleavened um, where you are basically in the fast submitting the points of blessing, submitting the points of resources that have built up within you. You're really yielding that to God. And and there's a, there's a miraculous dimension of that that God uses to address our ability to go forward. So it's it's not just not eating so that the flesh is is shutting off and the spirit can speak. That's true. But there's another element to that where who we are in our physical frame of blessing, we're submitting all of that to God. And, and when he says my flesh has failed of that fatness, that richness, that strength, it really is saying that I've exhausted all of that. And, um, you know, it, it's really funny. I, I, I wonder if there's a link between hungering after righteousness, where, where you get to the point then that you, your hunger is really wanting that partnership, that friendship with God, that vision from God. Um, there's, there's a connection so... And, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with what we've said in the past. There's nothing wrong with the principle. It is absolutely sacrosanct that when you die to the flesh, you're more open to the spirit. But this is something more. And um, it's, it's where the elements of who you are, how you've been blessed, how you've been built up, you're submitting that to God. And in some way then, that offering triggers the ability to move forward in grace. And that is really, that's really an interesting wow. facet. You know, I remember, uh, again, this isn't about me, but we're all family here. Um, last summer I was fasting, and I, I was losing so much weight, it scared me. Uh, I was down to what I was in junior high school. And um, finally the Lord said, enough, no more, because you've exhausted all of your You've exhausted all of your resources, but you've done this before me. Mm -hmm. And then I purposely tried to start gaining weight to, to get back up. And see, that's the problem, and when do you stop that? You've got you to build that. When the Lord says, okay, it's enough. Let's go back in But I know that that was doing something in me that was really taking me down to nothing. 
and, and it, it was a spiritual offering. And I think we can't we can't ignore that element of the fast um, before the Lord because um, that's really you not sacrificing this thing, not sacrificing that thing, not watching Facebook, not eating sweets. It's you giving the essence of who you are mm -hmm. and that resource is being offered to the Lord. And when it says then my flesh fails, that's when God says enough and the knees then are equipped to go forward in grace in a new way. Um, so I, I wonder about that and the uniqueness of this fast that we're in right now, and I, I call it a fast, but it's really not a traditional fast. Mm -hmm. It's you opening yourself to Jesus as he admonishes us to in the end of Revelation 3. And then let him do whatever he wants when you welcome him into the place of your spirit. Um, and I, I'm going to talk in just a few minutes about where Christ is, and it's going to be an extension of the writings to Ephesians. But I think when he knocks and he comes in the door, it's him accessing that place from wherever you are in your heart. That's where he dwells in agape. And he comes into that place in God, which is the essence of your life. And, and, and he begins to negotiate with you there so that you can fulfill what the Father has really put you here to do. So it's really going into a deeper place, but essentially we need that empowerment um, to go forward in grace. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this 30, 60, 70, 100 is a principle of promotion. And we can't, for instance, we can't go into the place where the Brazilians are, for instance, and address them in the 30 and the 60 if we have not overcome to be in that those next levels of God's promotionary uh, flow pattern. And, and even what David did in the cave where he broke his 30 men into three sections, I wrote about that, where you have that upper tier that is basically re regaled, but you don't really know anything much about them. You know that middle tier, but that upper tier is really where we are where we are humbling ourselves and we're there to empower these other levels to develop. Um, and, and that's the way David did it in, in the 30. And I, I also think that I was, I was thinking about why David was not permitted to build the temple. And, and some people just harp on the fact that it was uh, Uriah and Bathsheba. And that's not what God says in 1 yeah. Corinthians 22, 17. It says you've engaged in war. You've shared a lot, shed a lot of blood in warfare. And, and really, I think that there's, that doesn't make sense that God would judge him for doing what God asked him to do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense that God would judge him and say, yeah, yeah, I know you were serving me, but because you did that, you can't do this. That makes no sense at all, and that's not what God's heart is. Yeah. What it really was saying is it's a pattern of where we are. If we as a Gentile... If we're the Gentile church rebuilding the tabernacle of David, what it's saying is we go forward as David, someone who's seeking after God's heart, who's got skins on the wall to have done all these different things that God's led him to do. Mm -hmm. And we're just empowering sons to in these indigenous places to build up the Manuka place of, of God's presence. 
So that's really what God was saying. You've done all this work, but that's what I've asked you to do. And because that's your mission, you don't settle down in a temple dwelling. You keep expanding. And that's what Solomon was supposed to do when he lifted his parat's hands before God in that elevated brazen tabernacle, uh, uh, or whatever you would call that platform. Um, and, and so we're in this really weird place where all of these factors are, um, are playing, but um, basically we're partnering with Jesus here. Basically we're walking with him. We're riding with him. We're functioning on behalf of the right hand with him. And that's why this time of him coming and saying, it's almost like a job interview, you know? Hey, you know, this next stage, I just wanted to come and talk to you and tell you this is what's gonna be required of you and this and this and this is not gonna cut it in this new place. That's really why Jesus is meeting with us so that we can better partner with him. But all these factors, the, the fast, what do you want, Lord? Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. It's not a traditional fast. Mm -hmm. It's what do you want? You come into my house, you come into this place, I've opened the door, what do you want? How can I provide for you? What do you want to say? What do you want to do? But it's for this purpose. So all these factors are playing, and um, we just need to be open to it. Wow. Thank you for coming. <laughs> well, every now and then. Yes, that, was, that is so important. I love the fact that the the Lord reserved that little nugget about the fast in the Old Testament with the weak knees to now. That's that's just amazing. So it was cool. Way to go, God. <laughs> uh, we n thus ended the lesson. <laughs>